Please pray with me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give thanks for this week. We give thanks that an infant child is born who has come to reconcile all things into himself. We give thanks that our wait, our season of waiting, is over. We give thanks for the fact that we get to begin anew in this season of Christmas tide. Pray that we would be aware this morning the ways that you might be doing a new thing in our lives as we move out of a season of waiting and into a season of beginning. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning to you all. My name is Ryan. It is a delight and an honor to be here to worship with you all here on this December the 29th. Uh, I am a pastoral fellow here at Pillar Church, and uh, Trudy asked me this morning, what does that mean? And I said, that's a great question. So today, uh, we are celebrating the first Sunday after the season of Advent. We have moved out of the season of waiting, and our wait is over. Jesus Christ is born. We had Christmas Day on Wednesday, Christmas Eve, here at Pillar Church and around the country. I know that there were four services. John, I think I saw, was walking with a bit of a limp here this morning after that. And uh, I'm sure that all of you have traveled a lot or have had lots of things going on. Um, So I'm grateful that you are here, and before my rambling uh, becomes unending, let us look at a story that never rambles, but that is profound, that is deliberate, and that is true. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. And the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness He was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan, and he was with wild beasts, and the angels waited on him. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's Mark 1, uh, verses 1 to 20. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This morning, we're going to find three unique things about this passage. We're going to find some good news about what Christmas means to us, about what Jesus' birth into the world means for us. We're going to wrestle with a relatively tough pill to swallow about what this passage is saying to us. And we're ultimately going to be met by a challenge from Mark about how we are to live into this Christmas season. All right? A, uh, a member and friend of Pillar and a friend, mentor, and professor of mine, Chuck DeGroat, uh, he and I were having a conversation a little bit before Christmas, and we are having a, 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 a debate about who some of the most profound kind of uh, contemporary voices in the church are today. And he said, N.T. Wright, absolutely. And I said, well, that's awesome. I haven't really read a lot of N.T. Wright. And he said, well, you need to. Here's a book. And he gave me N.T. Wright's book called Surprised by Hope. In Surprised by Hope, Wright is trying to uh, put to bed any misconceptions that Christians might have about what happens to us after we die. And the very beginning of the book, the very first two sentences in the preface, struck me. And they struck me because they go like this. They say, what are we waiting for? And what are we going to do about it in the meantime? What are we waiting for and what are we going to do about it in the meantime? And as this is the very first Sunday after the liturgical season of Advent, after the season of waiting, these words seemed rather apropos to me as I read them. What are we waiting for? And what are we going to do about it in the meantime? I wonder if I can pose this very question to all of us here this morning. The season of Advent is over, but perhaps you still find yourself in a season of waiting. Perhaps we might find ourselves in a season where we think that what we most long for is just right around the corner and we only have to wait a little longer for it to come to fruition. Now, some good news. 
I uh, was here a few weeks ago, maybe some of you were, for the Nativity pageant. Was anybody here for that? The Nativity pageant? I thought that was absolutely delightful. Uh, Pastor John has this kind of philosophy where instead of having weeks and weeks and weeks of rehearsals and preparation, we're just going to have a good old time and kids are going to be able to dress up however they want. If they want to be wise men or wise women, they can be wise people. And if they want to be any kind of animal, they can be that. I saw a beaver. I don't know if there were any beavers at the uh, actual uh, uh, manger. I, uh, and I've heard in the past that Spider-Man can actually make a, an appearance. And uh, it was delightful. I got to be a part of it. It was really fun. But what's so interesting about the Gospel of Mark is that the beginning does, has no reference to this nativity scene, to Jesus' birth in the manger. Mark actually starts way earlier than the birth of Jesus. He says in verses 2 and 3, As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. There are no wise men, no gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Mark starts with a foreshadowing of Jesus. Matt Ruping, a, a friend of ours in, who's in my city group, uh, city groups are awesome, shameless plug for city groups. Uh, city group member right there? Yeah. Uh, he said, isn't it wild that Jesus is spoken about centuries before he actually came into the world? We were going over uh, a sermon that was preached on Isaiah that made reference, that, made, uh, that foreshadowed Jesus coming into the world. And he said, isn't that crazy? Yes. Yes, it is. But what might be even wilder is that this prophecy that Mark gives us, which is kind of a combination of Isaiah 40 and Malachi 3, isn't actually explicitly about Jesus. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the ways of the Lord. The first eight verses of this gospel, of the gospel of Mark, focuses on John the Baptist who we're told is baptizing people in the Jordan River. He's uh, dressed in clothing consisting of camel's hair while he eats locusts and honey. And this seems like somewhat of a far cry from the nativity scene that we got to behold a few weeks ago. I, I certainly don't remember anybody dressed in anything that resembled camel's hair or anything like that. Oh. Uh, so, <laughs> why does Mark make such a big deal about telling us this stuff about John the Baptist, even though we're told that he's laying out the story of Jesus? Every week during Advent, we had brave young ones come up here, the lighting of the Advent candles, who recited the words of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Through Him, all things came into being, and what came into being in Him was life. And that life was the light of all people. 
Mark is waving his arm saying, you guys, you guys, the light has been shining since before any of us can even imagine it. Jesus has been present in the world before the world even existed. Let us not forget that, that Jesus has been, that Jesus is, and that Jesus will be. And now all of this is very good news. The season of waiting is over. And it has given way to this Christmas celebration. As Pastor Jonathan said, we will spend these next couple weeks celebrating Christmas. Now, that being said, Mark also gives us a pretty tough pill to swallow. He begins by saying the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the beginning of Christ's ministry while on earth. The beginning of Jesus demonstrating that he is the Messiah. The beginning of the church. The beginning of the gospel. Now, beginnings can be rather deceptive, right? I said we had four Christmas Eve services. Uh, Stores on Christmas Day were closed around the country. Americans spent, hold your breath, $465 billion on Christmas gifts this year. And it can feel like Jesus' birth is not the start of a hike, but it feels like, oh, finally, we've made it. We've gotten through this holiday season. The new year is upon us. We can finally relax. We've made it. So then... What is Mark saying to us here, saying that this is the beginning of the good news? Mark is a guy who wrote uh, one of the Gospels about Jesus' life. Um, it's really, it's, it's, it, one of the, it's the simplest one of the four. If you, um, what does he mean by this beginning? Uh, my wife and I recently, maybe much to her chagrin, got... ESPN Plus, and uh, we, because we were paying for, we, we got like the bundle, so now we have like three streaming services for the price of one. And one of my favorite shows on there is this show called NBA Rooks. NBA is the Professional Basketball Association, Rooks standing for rookies, all right? And so this show highlights the, the trials and tribulations of college basketball players who are moving into the NBA to get drafted. They're all about 19 years old and they're about to sign contracts worth millions of dollars. And in every single interview with these players, there is this really consistent theme. They say something along the lines of, my whole life, all the work that I've been putting in since I was this big has led to this moment. All of my dreams are gonna be fulfilled I can't believe I finally made it. My wife and I were in downtown Kalamazoo a few weeks ago getting lunch, and we uh, walked by this place called Kaplan Test Prep, which I did a little research, and that is a national company that helps students ace the SAT or the ACT to get into college, whose slogan is, your edge in a competitive world. Synonymous with getting into college, getting into a prestigious university is synonymous with the fast track 
to a good career, to financial success, right? When I myself was in high school, I wanted more than anything to get my name up on that record wall for being able to run up to a stationary bar and jumping over it. And I worked day after day after day striving after my goal. I know uh, a lot of folks, I have family members, who pinched pennies, invested in the right mutual funds, invested in annuities, done the right things to be able to retire so that they can do all the things that work didn't allow them to do. Spend more time on the golf course, perhaps. This is the moment I've been waiting for. This is what I've been working towards, and finally, it's here. I made it into the NBA. I got into Cornell. I finally got my name on the wall. I get to practice my short game as often as I want to. I've climbed the mountain, and here I am at the very top. I've made it. Well, now that I've gotten here, now what? For NBA players, the draft is only the beginning of a career that is far from being guaranteed for them. If you're a Detroit Pistons fan, the name Darko Milicic probably still gives you nightmares. While it may feel like the hard work has come and gone, acceptance letter in hand, I'm going to my dream school. Anybody who's in college or has been through college knows that that's really only the beginning to what often feels like unending stress, fatigue, chasing and posturing after the next, next thing. Retirement is here, but torn rotator cuff, uh, bone spur in the neck, uh, slip disc, spend way more time in physical therapy than out on the golf course. What are you waiting for? And what are you going to do about it in the meantime? For Mark, this moment we've been waiting for, this moment of Jesus being born into the world, doesn't mean that we've made it. For Mark, this moment means that we've only just begun. Starting in verse 9, We get the first uh, actual action and reference explicitly to Jesus. Verse 9. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. Immediately after, Jesus is driven into the wilderness where he is tempted by Satan for 40 days straight. After that, we're immediately told that Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Friends, Jesus doesn't wait. Mark tells us that Jesus is active that Jesus is alert, that he is alive, and that he walks among us. He does not hurry, he does not rush, but he does not 
wait. He is deliberate and he is awake. What are we waiting for and what are we going to do about it in the meantime? Now, you might be rolling your eyes at me and saying, okay, sure, waiting? Me? Have you seen my calendar? Do you know how busy I am? What could I possibly be waiting for? If anything, I need to relax more. I hurry everywhere. I hustle. Uh, I, think of, I think of one of the Shark Tank guys who made a book called Wake Up and Grind. I get after it every single day. Waiting? Me? No way. But maybe if you find yourself in a, waiting, in, a, in a season of waiting, you might also be saying, yeah, but just you wait until I graduate. Just you wait until I get that job. Just you wait until I find that person. Until I find my spouse. Until we have kids. Then I won't have to wait for anything. I won't have to distract myself. I'll be totally present. Just you wait. C.S. Lewis has this line in his book, The Weight of Glory. He says this, Our desires are not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. What are we waiting for? Friends, this is the beginning. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ. The wait is over. The answer to our search for fulfillment, the answer to the question of the purpose of our lives, the answer to the emptiness, to the questions, to the wandering, to the waiting, is here. Jesus is alive, and our wait is over. Now, I don't want to spoil anything, but N.T. Wright has this great, great quote in this book, Surprised by Hope. He says, We sometimes try, in hymns, prayers, and sermons, to build a whole theology on Christmas. But in fact, it can't, uh, but it can't, in fact, sustain such a thing. We then keep Lent, Holy Week, and Good Friday so thoroughly that we have hardly any energy left for Easter, except for the first night and day. Easter, however, should be the center. Take that away, and there is almost literally nothing left. Christ's birth is wonderful and needs to be celebrated because it signifies that God himself was willing to take on human flesh, was willing to subject himself to walking among us so that he could be with us. But ultimately, a tough pill to swallow here this morning is that Christ's birth is only the beginning of his ministry on earth and is but a precursor to the most significant historical moment that the world has ever or will ever know. When Jesus took our sins innocently, took our sins 
upon himself and sacrificed himself on the cross, dying in our place so that we could be forgiven and so that we could live in communion with God. The wait is over and we are invited to begin. But if we find ourselves in this perpetual state of waiting, if you are here this morning still saying that, still feeling like you are in a season of Advent, waiting for that peace we so long for that feels so out of reach, what are we to do? Mark tells us that the remedy to this, this uh, uh, perpetual place that we find ourselves in is a 180-degree flip. There in verse 4 and verse 15. Verse 4, John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then in verse 15 he says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Repent. The Greek word there for repent is metanoia. Metanoia. And what that, what that literally means is to step out of one's existing mindset and to completely adopt a characteristically different one. To uh, take the way that we lived in the world, to take the way that we approached our place in the world and our place within God's story and to completely flip it on its head. Verse 16 to 18 says, As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Follow me, Jesus says to Simon and his brother Andrew. And immediately they leave their nets and join him. Metanoia. Immediately they leave their nets and they join him. Verses 19 to 20, as he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. James and John may well have jumped out of the boat and swam to shore the second that they heard Jesus calling to them. Metanoia, complete shift. The challenge of Christmas, as Mark tells us, is that this end of our waiting is not a slow, gradual process, but it is a fundamental shift in our mindset. Christ is alive. Christ is present right here and right now. Our fulfillment is not right around the corner, but is in the person, in the infant child, of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, born in the backwater town of Bethlehem, but present since before the creation of the world and will be present long after it ends. So what are we waiting for? The wait is over. We are invited to leave our nets, our old lives, and be reborn into Christ-likeness. For friends, this is merely the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ the Son of God. Let's pray.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Our wait is over. Though we can find ourselves in this place where we're just holding on for that next thing, but then once we get there, we're holding on for the next thing. And Lord, you tell us, you call us into a metanoia form of repentance where we lay down our waiting. Where we lay down our striving and our efforts and look to you and know that in you is fulfillment and fulfillment to the full. As we go this morning and this week, would we be aware of that new thing that you might be doing, of the ways that you might be immediately calling us into something new? And would we, by your Holy Spirit, be able to respond to that thing in the same way that the earliest disciples did? In Jesus' name, amen. Our wait for this meal is over as well. So let us come to the table as people who are not waiting any longer but are awake to what God is up to. Let's pray.